I love to quote Winston Churchill on this one, who says that we need to be just as good at the short and sharp as we are at the tough and long. And the thing is, like, we can get so lost in the details, but the check on all of it is, can we summarize those details quickly, succinctly, and with the story that our our clients or customers would tell themselves? The B2B Marketing Exchange was created with one goal in mind, to help B2B practitioners across marketing and sales be better at their jobs. Now we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. These are the tips and tools you need to succeed. This is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. Hi, everyone. I'm Alicia Esposito, Senior Content Strategist for DemandGen Report, and I'm really excited to present today's episode because I had the chance to sit down with Tamsin Webster. And if you don't know who Tamsin is, I think the uh, little blurb on her website encompasses her perfectly, after all, she wrote it. She's part keynote speaker, part message strategist, and all about building big ideas. And I think you'll really get that from our conversation today. We talk about her 20 years of experience in marketing. She spent some time at Weight Watchers, uh, even some time as a TEDx executive producer. So she's extremely knowledgeable and has a lot of experiences, knows what marketers today are struggling with. And we even dig into the Red Thread, what she's known for, and uh, a little bit about what she's going to be speaking about at uh, B2BMX. So listen, I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did, and hopefully it even inspires you to see her on the big stage in Scottsdale. So Tamsin, you're a 20-year veteran in the marketing and branding space, a full-on rock star as far as I'm concerned. Um, So you really know all of the changes and trends that are happening in in the landscape, and you've helped a lot of individuals and companies keep pace. So I'm very excited to speak with you today. But for those who are listening that may be new to you and your story, why don't you give them a quick overview of how you got to where you are today? Oh, it is a long and winding road <laughs> to mm-hmm. how I get. Um, but what's interesting is, uh, you know, there's there's kind of two things. One, uh, I unusually, I think, uh, studied marketing and I actually you know, went to undergrad for marketing. And so that's actually been a through line of everything that I've done. Uh, but everything that I've done has really, really been around change communications. How do you do that? Uh, and that that world started right out of grad school. So I went to went to grad school, got my MBA, got it in organizational behavior because I thought that would be a, a nice match with marketing. Okay, I'm going to talk to the outside world. That's the marketing degree, and then the inside world was organizational behavior. And my first job out of out of that was as a change management consultant. You know, helping big organizations with mergers and acquisitions, cultural changes, reorgs, that kind of thing. And even though like I didn't stay in that role, I decided to kind of go back to marketing, branding, and messaging. Uh, that mindset of how do we help people in an organization or outside of the organization change their thinking and behavior long-term has been a consistent through line in everything that I've done. I love that you looked at your career path in such a holistic way because usually um, it's, oh, I really like to come up with ideas. I like to find new ways to speak to people. So marketing makes sense for me. But from the beginning, you kind of had that you know, inside out, outside in perspective, which seems to be an area that a a lot of marketers struggle with, right? Like they have these big ideas and they want it to, you know, drive change for their audience, but that takes some change on the inside, which kind of leads to that execution issue, uh, I think that a lot of companies face. So to that end, would love your take on the state of B2B brands specifically and in tackling this, right? Especially as buyer demands 
heighten and, you know, there, there are new requirements or new rules, right, for how they're speaking to their audience. So how are they how are they grappling the internal and the external factors at the same time? Yeah, that is the that is the tension of of marketing, if not the tension of all organizations, isn't it? Right, because I think it's one of the things that I've always loved about marketing and branding is that marketers sit at the that intersection. I mean, they are to paraphrase a way that my husband talks about it that we are both the the megaphone for the company out. Right, what is the message that we're trying to take from the company and take it out to our clients, partners, audiences. But at the same time, there's a critical role in order for that, you know, that megaphone out piece to be useful and, and important. We also play this role where we're actually serving to be kind of a speakerphone back into the organization from what we're hearing in the marketplace so that that can affect the larger choices about business strategy and all of that. So, you know, where I see companies both struggle and succeed is in getting that balance correct. Uh, I think, you know, when companies struggle, it's that they haven't taken to account enough. What is it that their, their audiences, their clients, their customers, their partners are looking for? And they, they rely too much on, well, here's the thing that we think is important. And we're just going to talk about it from our perspective, but we kind of forget to take into account where is it that people are starting from? And I think that there's danger with the balance being too far the other way too. I think that I see organizations struggle to just constantly meet the needs of their customers and they end up losing what is the core of what makes them different, distinct, and valuable uh, in the marketplace, not to mention against their competitors. So that there's definitely uh, an ongoing balance um, that companies need to constantly, you know, maybe maybe assess, you know, take a step back and, and ensure that they're maintaining that being in tune to to both sides of that equation. That that's really fascinating, and I, I guess is a good transition to my next point. In that, you know, what one of your big focal points? Um, anyone who follows you can 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 get this from any of your content, your articles, and resources. This this idea of big ideas leading to big change. And um, I guess my question for you is, and maybe it's a bit of a challenge, do you think B2B as a whole is thinking big enough to, to drive that change, whether it be internally or externally? Because I feel like, you know, when you're stuck in the day-to-day, you're going, going, you just want to get the campaign or the content out. Sometimes you don't do that gut check, right, to make sure you're, you're thinking big enough or, or doing big enough Things. So, w- would you say that that folks are kind of stuck on the hamster wheel right now, and kind of <laughs> and kind of saying like, "Oh, well, I'm just you know selling a cloud based app. You know, I'm not changing the world." Or are you starting to see you know little inklings of of big ideas happening? I I always see inklings of, of big ideas happening uh, because that's why these businesses exist in the first place. I mean, I think every business, and particularly businesses that serve other businesses, you know, start with this belief that they can solve a problem the way that nobody else in the market can. And I think we do in the day to day kind of get away from that. We kind of forget that there was a real reason that you know, at the heart of it, we really believed that there was a difference in approach. And yes, that difference in approach and thinking and perspective and point of view in the world manifests in, you know, the XQTC product seven, right? Or that we're trying to like get Mm -hmm. and and sell on these long sales cycles. And in the midst of that long sales cycle, you can kind of forget. But there's also a reason why that particular product product was developed because 
again, it was coming from that larger point of view, from that big idea about what does that company represent that's different in the marketplace in the first place. So I, I do see that it can, you know, in a day to day, it can be very easy to go, well, I just need to like sell this cloud-based app. But if we can remember, again, back to that idea of balance, that, yeah, of course, like your, your potential client is looking for a cloud-based app, but at the same time, there is a larger reason why they are looking for that solution to the problem. And so I think that's where there's really opportunity for B2B marketers is to remember that as much as the work that we have to do has to look at the market or the client as a kind of a, as a big organization or whatever, that nothing ever works at the organizational level or even the market level that doesn't work at the individual level first. And so I've just found over and over again that this is a real way for companies to not only re-engage with their own content, but also spark new connections with how they talk about their products and services by connecting them back to what individual people are looking for and why they are looking for those solutions to the problems in the first place. Got it. And we're going to dig a little bit deeper, I think, in, into some of the ideas and recommendations you may have with, with all of the complexities of B2B in mind. But first, um, I think it's important that we take a step back because the red thread is essentially the the epicenter or the nucleus of all of the guidance or a lot of the guidance that you're providing to individuals and teams. Um, again, if, if you go to your website or any of your resources, it, it's, it's very front and center. So I think it's important that our listeners understand exactly what that is and, and you know, why um, that may be the foundation or, you know, the starting point for companies as they try to, you know, unpack all, all of these issues and, and maybe take a new approach to how they're doing marketing today. Sure. So the red thread is the name that I've given to something we've already talked about, which is what is the company's point of view? And another way to think about this really is the operating system of the company. There are reasons why companies make certain choices the way that they do. They're, yes, it's culture. Yes, it's all, you know, but ultimately comes down to kind of a system of, of beliefs and patterns of choices uh, that a company makes. I believe that this red thread, this point of view that every that every organization has is what gives rise to culture. It's what gives rise to brand. But it's really critical for us to, to go back and figure out what that point of view is. Now, I can say, okay, great. Well, how could we possibly do this? But I think the really the simplest way to think about it is that it's it's the reasoning that a company has for why they are the answer to a market question. You know, it is, there's a, you know, there's a series of steps that people's brains, all brains, organizational brains, human brains take. There's a series of questions that they have to have answered in order for them to understand and agree with a new answer to an old question. And so really what the red thread is, is it's a method that I developed to really pull those pieces out so that a company can get a really clear view either on what its overall perspective is or on what's the point of view, what's the case that's going to work for a particular audience to connect the questions they have right now to the product or service that you are working to sell to them. Got it. That's great. So to add to that then, I mean, obviously, depending on the company, the audiences they serve, you know, there, there are a lot of elements at play, right? Um, especially as you try to develop your messaging, how you're going to market. 
the idea of the buying committee getting larger and more complex, more <laughs> stakeholders and players, yeah. not to mention if you're dealing with high regulatory or complex industry that's very technical. I mean, a lot of things that could kind of muddy up um, a very once compelling and succinct story, right? The layers kind of add, add mm-hmm. um, over time. So how would you recommend that you know, marketers kind of tackle that? Um, what advice do you have so they continue to stay true to that uh, that overarching story or reason that they work so hard to uncover? Yeah, it's understanding really that that all of these things nest into each other. And what I mean by that is it it, it really does start with clarity around what the core narrative of a company is. And I and I distinguish between story and narrative. And I think that's actually one of the places that that companies can get stuck. It, you know, and and get themselves all tripped tripped up, because a story is a finished thing. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And so you can have a story for a company that's very useful, origin story, that kind of thing. But it's not something that oftentimes that in the moment of trying to make a sale or in that pro- long process of trying to make a sale, that the people that you're talking to they don't necessarily feel a part of it. They're like, well, that's great, you did that thing, but it's over. So a narrative is a story that's still being built. And that's that's one of those things where it's really powerful to understand kind of what that overarching core narrative is about why, again, back to this question answer piece, why your client or customer's question is answered by you. Um, because that's a, that's a narrative. That's a, a conversation that continues to happen. So first thing is to figure out what that core, that core red thread, that core narrative is, and then start to do the work kind of piece by piece, phase by phase in that buying cycle of what is it that those, how do their questions change, right? Because there's an overarching question, like how can we be more efficient with our production on our manufacturing floor, for instance, but over the course of a long sales cycle, there's very specific questions that that audience is asking very differently. You know, in the beginning, they're asking kind of larger questions of like, well, what's, what's a, you know, what's going on? What are the best ways to do this? And then once they start to get a sense of kind of the approach that they want to take, then their questions change again. They say, okay, well, if this is the right approach um, to thinking about this, this efficiency on the manufacturing floor, what are different ways to think about the solutions? Okay, then you can provide an answer to them for that. Then once they've got a different sense of what the solutions are, then they start to ask questions that bring them closer and closer to the sales decision, which are questions like, okay, but what was that what would that look like here for us? Right? And so each of these each of these questions really fits in with that larger narrative, but it all comes back down to that pattern I was talking about, of establishing what question is the audience asking and then what is the reasoning that they would agree with. Um, that's actually natural for how they see the world for why you're the answer. So the biggest thing that I see over and over again is that we constantly try to make our case for our businesses when actually what we really need to be doing is building our clients' and customers' case for them. We need to be building the story and the narrative that they will tell themselves because with these big buying committees, that's exactly what's happening, right? They're justifying it to each other. So if they don't have a way to explain why the next step in the process is the right one or why you as a company are the right partner for them, if they can't have a way that's natural for them to describe that to each other or to their, you know, to the rest of the committee or to the decision makers, then it's never going to happen. And so this is why it's so important to really think about what are those questions, what are those answers, and what is the case that's natural for them. Right. And that and that's really the key way for us as marketers to 
express or show our value, right? right? We're essentially giving them everything that they need to go back to their committee, whether that's, you know, the finance team, risk, security, whoever, and say, this is all the information you should need to tackle any of those follow-up questions or, you know, the naysayers, um, et cetera, through that process. And and that's how you become a trusted advisor, right? Everyone's saying, how do, how do I become a trusted advisor? And, and then they just keep saying the same story about their brand or their product over and over again. And it is possible to make that succinct. And in fact, that's the test of it. I mean, I, I, I love to quote Winston Churchill on this one, who says that we need to be just as good at the short and sharp as we are at the tough and long. And the thing is, like, we can get so lost in the details, but the check on all of it is, can we summarize those details quickly, succinctly, and with the story that our, our clients or customers would tell themselves? That's how you know you've got it, because it doesn't, all the details in the world don't matter if they're not hanging on and illustrating a case that makes sense and is powerful and is power enough for, uh, for people to act on. We're not making that case that the audience would make. So... I always, you know, that's where I start when I'm working with clients on this is that we start with, can we make the case succinctly first? Because it's always easier to add detail than it is to try to figure out what all the detail was trying to say in the first place. Mm-hmm. No, that's great. I love that. Um, so to the end, you know, we talked about the buying committee, all those different touch points or checkpoints throughout the buying process. And you provided a fantastic framework for how to how to build that, that narrative or, or what those key points are. But um, of course, during your B2BMX session this year, uh, you're focusing on the common red lights that that come up in this, uh, you know, buying journey and how marketers can better prepare for that. Yes. Um, ultimately leading to people to say yes. So just give a little teaser. You don't have to give yeah. everything away uh, <laughs> right now. But um, I mean, what are the most common red lights that, that you're seeing? I'm sure there may be some variants across industries, but of course, probably some higher level overlap. So what, what are you seeing from that standpoint? So the the biggest red lights that I that I see and, I, and I'll talk about in the talk are in really three big ones. The first one is no attention. <laughs> that someone mm-hmm. just, there isn't enough in what you are putting out there or putting in your RFP response or whatever for someone to go, yeah, that, that is, you have something that I want that I'm actually interested in. And so, you know, that's one of the very first ones is how do you make sure that we're getting their attention in the first place, that we're, they're anchoring in something that people want. Uh, the second big red light that I see is, is no decision. <laughs> I mean, this is really common in, in B2B where, you know, a lot of times not only will do they not go with you and they don't even go with your competitor, they don't go with anybody. Um, they stick with the status quo. Um, and that's because big companies, particularly and particularly B2B, like st- staying with what you were doing is always easier. Um, it's always easier to kind of not change than to change. Um, so that's the second big one. The third one that I see is once they've made a decision, let's say they do want what you have and they have made the decision to go with you, there's a buyer's remorse sets in and they start to question the change that they made in the first place. And you know, the a stat that I'll share in my talk is that the estimates are that 40% of B2B sales decisions end with buyer's remorse. So people questioning in that. And so you know, just imagine that the what that does to an organization to have that kind of churn. One, these processes do take so long and these sales cycles take so long and you've invested so much in, in these usually fairly high ticket prices. For 40% of the folks, the next time that decision comes along, for them to go, yeah, 
no, <laughs> we don't, we're not going to go, we're not going to take the next step or we wouldn't recommend you or all of that. So those are the big ones that I see. And they really fall in the big category of, I think what's, what's pretty counterintuitive to people is that, you know, marketing at its core and sales at its core is about getting people to make a different decision, uh, to act differently than they are right now. And the instinct, I think most of the time is to think that we need to change what people want. We need to change what they believe in order for them to get to do something different. Uh, but the thing that I'm talking about, uh, in that keynote at B2BMX is that, you know, surprisingly, what actually works is figuring out how to present that new behavior in a way that is consistent with what people already want and believe. In other words, the solution doesn't lie in challenging people's beliefs. It lies in upholding them. Got it. So do you find that usually when when people are challenged too much or pushed too much, it actually has the opposite effect? 100% has the opposite effect. Mm-hmm. And that's in our hardwiring as humans. I mean, all you have to do is you know, remember when you, as a child, you were <laughs> told that you were tired and you should go to bed and your instinct was like, <laughs> no, absolutely not. Um, but we never grow out of that. It's a, it's a known phenomenon called psychological reactance. And it happens because the minute that you try to tell someone that they're wrong or tell them what to do, you've removed agency from them. You You've, you've removed a sense of control and their first instinct is going to be fight back against that. And that's where the no attention comes from. They say, well, if you're going to tell me that's the right answer, I'm going to be like, no, I'm going to ignore it because if I don't already know it's the right answer, then how could it be? I mean, literally that's how our brains work. We say, if I don't already know that this is the right answer, then it must not be the right answer. Yeah. And you know, same thing with no decision. It's just kind of like, well, you know, I, I'm not hearing something that I believe is better than what I've got right now. And I don't want to look worse than I do right now. So I'm going to stay doing what I'm doing. And the no confidence comes when you start to question, you know, like, let's say you were able to get someone to act, you know, in a decision. And oftentimes that, you know, counterintuitively, you can, you can drive an action from kind of that negative place, but you can't sustain that action. So you can, I make a distinction between, and in the talk, I do this too, between driving a short-term action and driving a long-term change. And when we're talking about these long sales cycles and when we're talking about wanting to retain these clients over time, we need to make sure that they are comfortable with the decision from the get-go and it, and it feels like something that is natural to how they would already do, not a, not a shift in what they were doing because that's what leads people to go question the decision afterwards. Got it. And then for that buyer's remorse red light, is that where like post-conversion content or empowerment content comes into play? Absolutely. There's some really interesting recent research out of Gartner that says, with particularly with the volume of information that people are experiencing, and particularly in B2B, that what we need to be doing is actually is instilling and reinforcing their confidence in the decision that they've made or in the confidence of the decision that they are about to make. So everything we can do to reinforce from their perspective, again, not from ours, but from theirs, why this decision is, it makes sense for them to help to get to a point where where we are actually shifting from like this idea of sales enablement to buyer enablement, where our roles become making sense of information and helping them feel confident in the decision. Gartner was saying that, that, you know, the research is showing that you know, that's the path forward. That's the path to longer term, uh, mm-hmm. longer term relationships, longer term satisfaction with the, with the buying decision, make people feel confident before, during, and after that, that decision so that they, that we can avoid that final red light of buyer's remorse. Right. 
Right. Because there's kind of like that, well, now what <laughs> moment? Yes. Like once you make that decision, it's like, okay, well, are you here to help me? Of course, there's like client success managers and all of that, but I feel like there's such a a harsh handoff, right? right? Like you go from like dealing with, you know, one line of communication and that ongoing nurturing. And then it's like, okay, well, we'll just check in every once in a yeah, while. Exactly. Good luck. <laughs> exactly. Like, see ya. Yeah. My good friend, uh, Joey Coleman wrote a great book called Never Lose a Customer Again. And he really focuses on the first hundred days after a conversion. And mm. the analogy that he makes, which I just adore, is that, you know, the whole sales process is like, you know, falling in love and getting engaged and getting married. And then the handoff is like, like you, you carry your beloved, you know, you enter your new home across the door and then you say, all right, now this is Bob and Bob's going to take it from here. (laughs) And I just love that analogy because it's so perfect, but that's exactly right. I think, you know, from a, we need to be thinking, I love that shift that Gardner really talked about between sales enablement to buyer enablement, because Mm -hmm. that has a much longer term view. It means that we're not just we're not stopping at the sale. We're making sure that we are empowered the buyer, not only to make the right decision, which we think is in our favor, but they continue to use that decision to do the work that they wanted to do when they came looking for us in the first place. Yep. Love that. Well, Tamsin, this has been a fantastic conversation. I'm so excited to actually see you live on our our keynote stage. And of course, we have you hosting a workshop too, which will be fantastic. Um, Before I let you go, Wondering if we could do a little speed round to close things up. Yep. You up for it? Of course. Okay. Yes. Great. Yes. All right. As you can tell by the name, um, the very obvious name, uh, just answer as quickly as possible. No other rule. Okay. All right. Question one. Would you rather have more time or more money? And what time. would you do with your choice? <laughs> time. Okay. Yeah. And what, what would you do? Make more money. There you go. <laughs> That's how you beat the system, <laughs> folks. <laughs> if if you can only eat one kind of food for the rest of your life, what would it be? So one kind of food for the rest of my life? Yeah. Fish. <laughs> it's diverse enough. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. I'm going to say like, yeah, I would like, Mediterranean diet. I'm just going to extend it to that. But yes, All I right. do like, yeah. There you go. What song best describes your life? Uh, Edith Piaf's Non, je ne regrette rien. No, I regret nothing. Excellent. And what's your social network of choice? Um, professionally, Instagram, but personally, Facebook. That's where I spend all my time. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. What marketing trend are you most excited about? This movement towards paying attention to the individual. As I said before, I think nothing works at the market level that doesn't work at the individual level first. So the fact that we're starting to pay more attention to what like individual humans need, like how do humans work, the better we're going to be at marketing to the whole. Excellent. And what marketing trend do you think is a fad? Oh, Lord. Most of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think tech for tech's sake. I mean, I think there's a lot mm-hmm. of, you know, I mean, it's everything could fall in that category of like, hey, we've got this new tech. Okay. Everybody's got to be there. I, I just, I'm obviously, as you can tell by now, I'm a big, I'm a big fan in anchoring your marketing on what doesn't change. And what doesn't change is how humans are wired to make decisions. So anything that is not in line with how humans make decisions, um, I've just seen over and over again, it, it comes and goes very quickly. Yep. Agreed. What has been your proudest career moment so far? I'd say, oh, proudest career. They happen all the time. And I know that's kind of like a lame consultant answer, but it, it really is the, the proudest career moment is the most recent time, you know, that I, that a company has really connected with what actually makes them fundamentally different in the, in the marketplace. I mean, it's just so, it's, it's such a wonderful thing to see a company go, well, we knew we were great, but now we know why we were great. 
You know, we not it's not just now we know what our why is, but we know why we have that why. And and just every time that happens, I I'm thrilled. Great. And finally, what's your uh, what's your pitch today? It could be anything at all. Um, you know, I think it's about making sure that your ideas are built big enough to build on. And I think that that's the that's the kind of selfless pitch that I would make is that you know, do the do the test of your messages to make sure that it's something that your audience would agree is true. Not that you wish they would agree is true, but whether or not your audience would agree is true. Awesome, Tamsin. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. I feel like we could just go all day, but uh, I'll let you go for now, and hopefully we can connect at BWMX. But thank you again so much for uh, taking the time and giving the folks at home a little bit of a teaser of what they can expect at the show. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, everyone out there, for listening. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. To receive future episodes, be sure to subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And if you're hungry for more B2B best practices, join us at the 2020 B2B Marketing Exchange coming to Scottsdale, Arizona from February 24th to 26th. You'll have access to more than 100 sessions focused on content marketing, demand gen, ABM, and so much more. Save 25% on your pass by using discount code B2B POD. That's B2B P-O-D. We hope to see you there.